Welcome back to Trending in Education. Uh, Mike Palmer here uh, with a special extra edition uh, today on Operation Varsity Blues and uh, something that uh, is certainly educational in nature and has been cracking the front page of a lot of our major newspapers of late. It's definitely occupying the collective consciousness or the zeitgeist, as we like to say. And uh, I have the pleasure of being joined by uh, two, uh, two other voices, uh, one of whom's been on the show uh, once before, and uh, Kristen Smith, welcome back. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Kristen, uh, for those of you uh, connoisseurs of our back catalog, uh, Kristen joined us on our, uh, what was, turned out to be a really fun conversation about ghosting in the workplace and how ghosting is a phenomenon that uh that you don't just see on the dating scene you also see it on the hiring scene uh fun conversation good one to refer back to uh and welcome back uh kristen and uh we're also joined by frank jones uh first time on the show uh long time listener frank i don't know well let's say long time listener. all right let's first, first time joiner yeah. first time joiner yeah yeah so uh so welcome Thanks to the for having sh- me. Yeah, great to have you guys, and uh, and hopefully we'll continue to 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 give more, uh, you know, get get access to more voices uh, to to get more perspectives on some of the topics that are uh, relevant in learning and education. Um, to that point, uh, this what I'm referring to as Operation Varsity Blue. That was the name that uh, the the. The Department of Justice uh, was using for the admission scandal that broke uh, within the last uh, week or so, uh, which involved, uh, I believe there were 50 named um, folks in the uh, indictments that, that were issued, uh, some of whom were, uh, you know, TMZ ready uh, celebrities. So, uh, Aunt Becky. <laughs> from uh, Full House, Lori Laughlin, Lachlan, Laughlin, one of those, and uh, and uh, Felicity Huffman of Def- Desperate Housewives uh, were were both named in the indictment, and then interestingly, they became um, you know almost the the poster parents, the poster moms, if you will, of uh, of this uh, scandal. And uh, Kristen, I kind of wanted to start with you a little bit on on that front. Um, any perspective on, uh, you know, just the the scandal itself? Just to clarify for those of you who aren't tracking, uh, there was an organization called the Key that was led by uh, a guy named William Singer, who uh, was basically, uh, you know, paying admissions counselors, uh, paying uh, uh, university coaches uh, to help. Uh, provide access to admission into the most selective universities out there. Uh, And uh, it was a pretty involved scandal, a lot of uh, uh, money laundering. And like you just said, 25 million between 2011 and 2018. Yeah. So like a lot of money moving around and a lot of uh, purchasing of access to the most selective universities uh, that are out there. Uh, You know, we were talking about it, you know, as we were prepping, it's a little bit of a, you know, TMZ meets higher education. And, uh, you know, part of what got it onto the front page of a lot of the major newspapers that are out there is the fact that there were celebrities involved. And then uh, uh, I did think, and I, I think Kristen, we, we both sort of shared this opinion that it was interesting that 
uh, it very much became about uh, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman, when if you were to actually fully explore uh, the, the complexity of the scandal, it was a lot more than that. So, uh, so any take on that uh, from your side, Kristen? Yeah, I, I think it's, it is interesting. And, and certainly, it's, it's fun to be able to say Aunt Becky, right? Like, like that alone became a trending uh, hashtag on Twitter, because it's easy and people know who she is. And, um, and, and that does make it easy. But like you said earlier, there are 50 people involved. And, and all of them have really interesting roles in this. You know, William Singer is a name that unless you're really carefully paying attention to this scandal, doesn't get named very often, but he's the one who pocketed most of that 20 plus million dollars. And, uh, and certainly, you know, I'm more focused and interested in knowing more about the scandals coming from the school side of this, you know, the coaches and the people whose, whose careers are, are designated to be fair and uncompromising. I, I can almost be more understanding of a parent wanting to do the best for their kid and less, less willing to certainly still can't allow that, but, but certainly less, uh, less understanding of the person whose job it is to be ethical in these situations. Uh, and the fact that it really was these two women is, is fascinating to me. I mean, certainly their celebrity status, but you know, did William H. Macy play a role? He's certainly been pretty actively um, involved in going to court. And, and he's just as big, frankly, I'd say even bigger a name than Felicity Huffman. Um, so, so that's been kind of an interesting, interesting challenge, I think, for the way the media has handled this and, and their willingness to only focus on the two mothers involved when there are 48 other people who could and should be, um, be looked at more publicly. And, for and I think if you look at some of their uh, accounts, like what, what they're being charged with, it's not as egregious as some of the other folks, right? right. I, I want to say like, um, what was it? The Felicity Hoffman was like $15,000. Again, we're not making light of that. But if you look at that in comparison to the 1.5 million or the $500,000, it's like, okay, why are we choosing to focus on these individuals? And ultimately, we know that it gives media traction, right? You give the ability to run the cycle, run the story numerous times if you use the celebrity name. So it's unfortunate for them that they're now becoming the poster uh, people for this, but um, it's also uh, kind of telling that like, well, if you expect to do crime, then there's a consequence to this. And unfortunately, it's not always the face that we expect to be on the wanted poster, but sometimes they're, their faces that, you know, smile and help you, uh, you know, bring baked goods to the, <laughs> to, to the after school program. You yeah. Know? And I think at the end, it's, this is all stemming from people. What, what Kristen was saying, just wanting what's best for their children. And it's, you know, the lengths that people are willing to go to do that, I think is, is really a, a very interesting um, element of all of this that I think we're discussing, but we're not really um, tapping into. Yeah. And uh, just sort of building on that too, the, it's the first time I really heard about the concept of bulldozer parents. Uh, so, you know, helicopter parents was the, mm -hmm. was the previous one, which is, you know, like fluttering around them, making sure they're scheduled and they can handle all the activities in their day to day. Right. The bulldozer parent is more uh, bulldozing obstacles ahead of their child so that their child has uh, less, uh, fewer barriers to their own advancement. And, uh, one of the interesting aspects of the story, and I think you had uh, you had some more research and a little more of a take on this, Frank, is uh, the idea that uh, at least the story that's being told is in some cases, the kids were not even aware of what their parents were doing for them. 
Uh, so uh, can you give us a little more detail there? Yeah, I was just reading an, uh, an article, uh, I think it was either today or yesterday sometime or in New York Mag, and it was basically talking about, you know, here are the list of, of kids who knew about this, right? We, to assume that none of the kids knew is, is probably not right, but to assume that everyone was playing an active role is, is probably not accurate either. So um, I don't want to get into, I mean, sure, are we going to list names of, right. the, of the people? Do you want to do that? No, or, no, no, no. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, I think in the end, what is this saying? That essentially that um, out of the 50 names or so that have been uh, identified, I'm looking at at least eight to 10 names where they're saying, yeah, these kids were actively involved. On right, this. So. right. Yeah, and it's, uh, it is interesting. Like you almost want to have an easy uh, target uh, when something wrong happens. I know, uh, you know, we at Kaplan, uh, particularly at Kaplan Test Prep are, you know, appalled by the, the, the lack of ethics that are involved in uh, gaining access to university when like we're more focused on, uh, you know, preparing people to perform so that they get into the, the schools of their choice. But it is interesting how, um, this becomes sort of like a public narrative that allows us to talk about culpability and talk about what's wrong in our society today. Uh, you know, Frank, I know you and I were talking a little bit about, I, for some reason, I, I'm trying to find ties to the Fire Festival because yeah. I still find, uh, <laughs> fascinating. I, I thought, yeah, I thought that documentary was fascinating, but like, but we're in a world of, um, uh, like scams mm -hmm. and uh, corruption. Yeah. And we're trying to find um, like almost a culture of outrage. Like you want to, you want to be able to complain and vilify someone who's a bad actor and talk about how our society is, is, is sort of moving in a negative direction. Yeah. Like that's a natural reaction. Uh, definitely. Let me, let me ask you this though. Do yeah. you think that um, it's more of a reflection of us being in this space where we're outraged and highly offended by things in, in, a, in a way that we're more sensitive now, right? Because if you think about what's happening here, this, this corruption isn't new, mm -hmm. right? Like this, this corruption is, is something that happens even prior to the college admissions process, right? Like there are right. people cutting backdoor deals to get their kids into preschool and sure. kindergarten, yeah. right? Yep. So yep. it's not as if this is something that's only applicable in one realm of our life, which is, you know, higher education, right? right. We know that there are uh, factions of people who uh, have access to resources and they use those resources at their disposal for their benefit, right? right. right. Um, and that's really just human innate uh, behavior. Uh, obviously, there are extremes to, to everything. And this is just one of those examples where it's, it's, it's rearing its head of being an extreme uh, type of scenario. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think there's also a tendency to, you know, that's where I was uh, thinking about Mr. Rogers. Uh, I just saw the Mr. Rogers documentary on HBO. It, it was pretty good. Yeah. But, uh, but like, I remember he would always... He would always talk after a crisis, after something really terrible happens, look for the people who are helping because yeah. they're always there. Yeah. And like, I think frequently when something like this happens, it's easy to just sort of almost get into a negative spiral yeah. about how everything is terrible, everything is, is broken. But, uh, but it did make me think more about um, people who are actually helping open up access to higher education to folks who typically don't get that opportunity. So like, 
sure, if you're a, you're a child of wealth, uh, you're maybe suffering from some mild affluenza uh, because your parents have bulldozed the, op the, the obstacles ahead of you. That's an aspect to the narrative. But I think it's easy to miss the fact that a lot of people are really motivated to help open up those, uh, those pathways. Like we've talked um, uh, with Nancy Sanchez in the past about uh, the, the power of the transfer process. So like mm -hmm. looking at students who are beginning with their associate's degree or they're, they're going to a community college and they still wanna gain access to, uh, to the right university for them, like that's a pathway to think about. Another pathway to think about is like, rather than uh, trying to go to these most uh, selective universities, yeah. going to a, a university that you, you can gain access to that's maybe a little less uh, you know, stringent or, or selective. Like it's crazy that Harvard's accepting like- 4%. Yeah, like single digit percentage points. Um, are there ways to sort of reframe this that uh, look to, you know, either the people who are, you know, when I get frustrated, I frequently try to find a positive outlet for my energy so that rather than like, it's really easy to go to social media and lament this stuff, but like, that doesn't always really make a difference. Uh, any thoughts on like ways to sort of think about uh, if you're frustrated, how to like mobilize that energy towards positive outcomes? Yeah, I think that's a great question, right? And I, I'm a huge fan of recycling energy and and not wasting it on things that aren't that are destructive right I, I always try to even when when negative things are happening i try to you know what is it develop a negative into a positive picture type mm -hmm. thing so mm -hmm. um in this particular context um i guess that the best thing to do would to, to encourage people to get involved right if you're if you're reading this situation or you're you know watching the news reports and you feel like um Yet here's another example of the, the uber wealthy or the 1% taking advantage of us less fortunate or those who are struggling to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, get involved, volunteer, right? Like if, if, if you feel that like the playing field for this uh, educational process is, is skewed, then find ways to help out, whether it's mentoring, mm -hmm. whether it's donating to a foundation like we have here where we're, you know, explicitly trying to help people of a uh, certain demographics right and i think that's one of the things i found really interesting about um singer's uh nonprofit, right like if you, if you went to his website it was designed with this like vibe of like we're here to help the disadvantaged achieve their <laughs> goals and dreams when in actuality he was doing the exact opposite right, right. um so yeah i mean I, I think that's that to me would probably be off the top of my head one of the better things to to advise to folks um so there's actually a great article from Market Watch that shares uh, by Jeanette Setembre, I want to say, that shares five charities that help low-income yep. students. And, mm -hmm. and I, think, I think actually the best thing that comes from these situations, which frankly keep happening more and more, is the fact that we're becoming more aware of these things, right? Like, Frank, like you said earlier, it's, it's not that these aren't happening already. It's just... Yeah. You know, the, I mean, these are happening far before higher education and, and these things have been happening for a while, even things like legacy admissions or, or the ability for certain families to be able to move to a higher income neighborhood to determine a better, you know, um, a better opportunity for their kids at a younger age. I mean, those are all things that, that are not available to all families. And, um, and I think just being more aware of these situations taking place is, is a good is a good thing, even though it does create a bit of an outrage culture, there are still 
it's still important to be aware of these things happening. And, and I think it'll, it helps us as a society to call that out quicker mm-hmm. moving forward and to be more aware of like, maybe now people will really research the nonprofits and determine if they're actually helping <laughs> underprivileged right. or if they're actually just taking advantage of, of a situation. So, yeah. so I hope that, you know, that's the, the silver lining I always see in these situations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to me, it harkens back to, and I was mentioning to some of you guys, that um, Malcolm Gladwell did a really interesting revisionist history on um, the the way in which funding flows to uh, higher education in the United States. Mm-hmm. And he was making an interesting analogy to sports around weak link versus strong link problems. Mm-hmm. So basically he said like basketball is uh, uh, typically a strong link problem where like the best player on the team will ultimately re- elevate the play of the team mm-hmm. so that you can actually win if you have the strongest link yeah. uh, on your field, as opposed to soccer, which he was likening more to a weak link problem mm-hmm. in that if you have a really bad player on an 11 person team, the other team can exploit you and win. Mm-hmm. And what he said, just analogizing that to higher ed in the U.S., is that um, frequently it's positioned as a strong link problem where you want to figure out how do you get people into the most selective, most elite universities, uh, which typically are where the funding is flowing. So, like, how do we continue to, you know, grow Harvard and MIT and Stanford's endowments? as opposed to if those same dollars were instead focused on the weak link problem, which is basically community colleges, mm-hmm. uh, local universities. Uh, I thought that was an interesting article. I think Kristen, you were talking about too in the New Yorker uh, from the perspective of, uh, of, of an international uh, student or an, someone who didn't really grow up through, through the United States. Mm-hmm. Typically universities overseas, you go to your local, like whatever town you grow up in, you go yeah. to the university within your town. And there's no shame in that. And yeah. There's actually a pride in, in, in uh, you know, staying local and giving back to your, your community. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I mean, the whole notion that education is a multi-billion dollar business is at the root of what this problem really is, right? Like the, what we're discussing now is really just a symptom of a much larger problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, What's interesting to me, and this is what I'd, I'd like to have you guys' uh, approach on this or, or thoughts on this, is, um, you know, we, we talked about legacy admissions, right? And we talked about um, donations, but in some ways, these are just more of a similar type of thing, right? Like, so, okay, granted, you're not paying to have your kid um, have someone take the test for them, or you're not, you know, photoshopping your child's face on another athlete, but you're donating a building for $2.5 million. So how is that really different? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, you know, again, this selective outrage is one of the things that I find very interesting about society right now, because we can see very similar things happening and turn a blind eye to one and then for whatever reason, be up in arms and, and, you know, ready to pitchfork and, and torch people right. about something else. So well, I think it's, I think it's a, a little bit of keeping up appearances too, right? So like if, if you are donating a library to a university, everyone's going to know you did that. So like if I'm admitted the year after the, the Palmer library opens, although Palmer's a relatively common name. Okay. Like, you know, my dad's name <laughs> yeah. library, like everybody's going to know about it. Right. But if you're able to sort of, 
tell the story because I think that so much of this is about storytelling, but like being able to sort of tell this story about, you know, well, you know, my daughters are playing crew or, or whatever, you know, they're, they're playing, they're on the lacrosse team at USC or, mm -hmm. or they're, they're uh, playing tennis at Yale, you know, and like, that's a nice narrative. You're able to kind of tell that story. Yeah. And I feel like uh, it's not as easy to uh, cut a check to, to make a library. You know what I mean? Like even that angle in, mm -hmm. I think the universities like that. It's gated. It's gated. You got to find the right person. And, and honestly, it's probably even further gated for, or if you're like a B-list celebrity, no offense, uh, whatever list you might be on. Yeah. Uh, Aunt Becky, I'm a huge fan. So yeah, like, <laughs> they still hope to, channel, right? they still hope to redeem herself, but. Um, no, not anymore. She's done. Yeah. Well, but, uh, <laughs> But regardless, uh, like I think to actually donate a library, you almost have to be part of an even higher level of elite uh, culture within within our society. Where like I don't know if every uh, I don't know maybe it depends. I mean maybe every university will take uh, take whatever large check they're offered yeah. to to grant admission. I, I suspect that there's an every like what's Ted DiBiase from WWF back yeah. in the day. Everyone's got a price, right? I, I believe that every institution, if you come to them with a number, even if you weren't on the list initially, as yeah, we would accept your payment, right? they would accept it right like right i mean capitalism is king right and i think that's the thing that we have to be mindful of right as, as much as we want to say how immoral this is and uh how unethical it is all true all true but then we we have to then be honest about what capitalism really means right because at the end of the day it's about utilizing your resources to maximize your gain right but, but I think there's a related take, which is that for many of these kids, access to these universities is not going to make a meaningful difference in their life. I think that's lots of times oh, where, the out, where the outrage is coming from is that oh, for sure. those seats that they're taking, which probably won't change their lives demonstrably, maybe no. it'll raise the floor. Right. For them, like it'll be less likely that they'll flame out as catastrophically as they might have elsewhere, right. elsewhere because they've had some connections. But like if that same seat was given to to someone who was more, it was more of a reach for them mm -hmm. that would actually change their long-term earning potential, change the connections that they would have. And it's like anything in life, right? Like things that come to you easily without effort, you don't appreciate or value, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there's that element to it. Okay, yeah, you put these kids to these four-year universities, but do they actually value their education? Are they actually going to try to do anything to make a difference with what they've learned? Probably not, right? No, they definitely um, don't, though. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, like they literally said, have said that on YouTube. I mean, Lori Loughlin's daughter has flat out said in YouTube videos that she doesn't plan on going to class, that school isn't important to her. So right. that, yeah, I mean, an outrage on that. YouTube. Yeah, and, and she's already... She's she's a brand herself. Yeah, she's a model. She's had endorsement right. deals, right? So, yeah. so then the question begs, like, why even go through this, right? If you can afford, again, we were saying this at the top of the call, if you can afford to pay $6 million for your kid to get in school, then congratulations, that kid's already won, right? Like, yeah. allow that spot to be for someone else, right. you know? And, and this whole notion about uh, removing barriers or bulldozing barriers is, is ultimately, in my opinion, more detrimental, right? Because all you're doing is... Um, breeding or all you're doing is growing a uh an adult that's not resilient 
So the first time of adversity, you know, now this person's 25, 30 years old and they have a family and they have real life issues to contend with. Mm-hmm. Now what, right? Like right. doors have been opened and kicked down for you your entire life. You have built up no tolerance to pain or adversity. Um, you're most likely going to crack under pressure. Right. Well, and I think there's, there's a narrative out there too about how that in some ways is its own affliction. So like that's the whole affluenza yeah. defense where it's like, if you're not actually forced to struggle, if you're not, you know, required to develop that grit and that resilience, that ultimately you are setting yourself up for a, a fall. And uh, and I think that's also where just reframing the narrative to look more at uh, folks who really ha- were able to overcome adversity to kind of succeed and trying to facilitate those pathways. So I did think. Uh, the article, which we'll share out on Twitter that you're describing, uh, Kristen, is a good place, I think, for many of our listeners to land as well, where like, if you're frustrated, uh, think about the people who need a little more help. Same thing you were talking about around mentoring, uh, just the, the, the transformative power that higher education and access to, uh, to opportunity, uh, can provide folks. And, uh, there's a tendency in the world of social media and the world of uh, sort of corruption and crisis of trust that we're in to gravitate to where there is inequity and where, you know, those, those opportunities are taken away. Mm -hmm. But I feel like sometimes that's, uh, that's almost the easier aspect. It's easy to get angry and to sort of voice that rage. And uh, I think what's frequently harder is to try to channel that uh, towards a, towards more positive um, directions uh, we're running a little close on time. So like maybe uh, some parting, uh, parting thoughts. What didn't we get to? We talked a little bit about the fire festival. I think <laughs> we're going to need to come back to that one. Cause I, I uh, got a couple of things that please, I definitely want to hit on before please. we roll out of here. Right. Um, no one's talking about Maury Tobin, right. Who snitched and set this whole thing into motion. Right. So for those who don't know, Maury Tobin was a wall street uh, trader who was being brought up on being federally indicted on securities fraud. And he was the person who said, oh, while you have me underneath these charges, let me give you some more information that you weren't even looking for, right? And that's what set this whole thing into domino effect. So that's very interesting, right? Like, and then on top of that, your boy Singer, I'll wear a wire, right? Like no one, yeah. like, no one is following yeah. street code. Everybody wants to do the crime, but nobody's <laughs> wanting to follow well, it's, the it's, rules to doing crime. Especially in that case, when like the guy at the top of the Ponzi scheme flips and becomes right. <laughs> like it's like yeah. yeah so that he can in, he can sort of implicate everybody who was part of the scam that he's orchestrating that's right i found that to be just bizarre but that's the era that we're living in yeah. i should say that's yeah. not too new lately for yeah. <laughs> we're living in. yeah and then the last thing that i think that's just very interesting and nuanced about all of this is that the briberies were for water polo and fencing right like they weren't for you know division one football or basketball because you would know right all of a sudden yeah that's not the top recruit and you know i heard there was one kicker there there was one football kicker for a a a program where like apparently he there wasn't even a football program in his high school too like it did feel (laughs) like like a lot of this felt very like i i just don't think they thought anybody was watching yeah and it is interesting that you know, that we, that this level of investigation was underway for this long and was actually able to uh, sort of indict this many people, which you think it's a lot. I think 50 is still like an insignificant number, right? As, as, as far as 
if what we believe to be true, which is these aren't the only 50 people who are doing this or have done this or will continue to do this in the future, mm -hmm. what's the real number? Sure. I mean, I think the real number is, is I mean, it, depending on what's, what's a crime, <laughs> like that, that's a whole nother question. Sure. But like how much of this type of activity is allowing folks to gain access? I mean, that, that's sort of just the, to your previous, your point at the top, like that's kind of the nature of, of our society of yeah. just, you know, humans in general, like you part of why you try to gain wealth and influence is so that you can drive towards outcomes that you want. Right. And then how many of the, at what point, to me, I do come back to the importance of teaching ethics, which is really fundamental to a lot of the crises that we're talking about, something we talk about a lot around artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. There's an increasing need for ethicists and for folks who can sort of um, come up with the right rationale for sort of establishing practices that don't lead to further corruption. Um, we're at a real like crisis point, as far as I can tell, where like unless and until we start to signal the 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 sort of the the right direction to start course correcting, we're we're in a pretty dire spot. So so this Kristen, make funny. us and, and with something positive. So like and it's actually so perfect. Like I could not have planned this better myself because this sort of touches on my what I wanted to mention. I think this is a great opportunity for universities to reevaluate in general, the way they're looking at accepting students. Mm -hmm. I, and I, Nancy had touched on this in her article. It's, this is such a larger problem. Like this isn't just about accepting money and bribes and things like that. We, it's, this is an opportunity to really kind of look at ethically how students are admitted, where low income students are, they don't have the ability to even have parents pay for those yeah. extracurricular activities to mm -hmm. even the get them to this themselves. level. Yeah, and those bulldozer parents are truly just providing large sums of money in what's considered an ethical way. I'm doing quote, <laughs> quotes for those listening. Uh, it, and, and it's a problem. I mean, it's, it's preventing all these other students from getting into higher education because they don't have those funds, but are doing miraculous things. They're working a ton of hours in jobs. They're speaking multiple languages. So I think reevaluating all of this in and of itself would be really, this is the time, right? Like when we're, when, when this scandal has broken, like, I think this is a great time to reevaluate in general, what, what's important for a student to be accepted. That can be a broader scale for students who don't have those funds and those bulldozing parents. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And just one other thing, and then this isn't really a happy note to end on, but I was reading. <laughs> I tried. That, yeah, like 80% <laughs> of college admissions directors are from a non-ethnic background. So that in itself is, you know, that's a whole nother level to all of this, right? right. Even if you're somehow able to get through the, the rigging and the scamming and all of that, your application is most likely, if you're obviously, if you're a person of, of a minority background, your, your application is being reviewed by someone who doesn't look like you eight out of 10 times. Right. So again, we need to probably look at this whole process from top to bottom and let's not just focus on one element or one component of it. Let's, let's look at the thing holistically. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, lots of themes raised here. I imagine these topics are, are going to stay relevant in education. Uh, we'll be covering uh, these uh, thoughts. Uh, also, other perspectives, Nancy Sanchez, Brandon Bastide, another uh, person we're hoping to get on the show as some uh, more transformative ideas about how, to your point, Kristen, maybe higher education is due for some 
more fundamental disruption. Uh, that's definitely some trends that we'll be, uh, be tracking on this show. Thanks so much to Frank, your first, uh, first dip in the pool. Thank you for joining us. This is awesome. I hope I didn't get banned or say anything that was too uh, controversial. That was, <laughs> I, know uh, I don't know. You're, you're, you brought an edge. You had yeah. some takes. Uh, that was great. And Kristen, your, Stop sec snitching. your second time, Kristen, what, were your, uh, what, what was it like for you? Uh, this I felt more comfortable, <laughs> so so that was exciting, and I love it. I I I love listening to this podcast. I love being a part of it, and I'm glad that I didn't make a fool of myself on the ghosting podcast that you were kind enough to invite me a second time. So yeah, you. so uh, so thanks so much for joining us. Uh, for those uh, listeners out there, you can uh, tell your friends, uh, share the show, uh, give the gift of uh, listening to trending in education to everyone you know. Uh, we'll be back uh, on our regular uh, regular time Tuesdays with our next show. And uh, follow us at, uh, at Trending in Ed on uh, Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook. And uh, let us know how we're doing. Let us know what uh, you want to be hearing from and uh, hearing from us about. And uh, clearly, this is a topic that isn't going anywhere. So I imagine we'll continue to talk about this and other themes on the show. So thanks again. <laughs>